0: I hope you've got a Bible, if not, there's some spare. We're going to read responsively, responsibly, but responsively. In that sense, I'll begin at verse 1, and if you would do verse 2, and we'll read right through. This is Psalm 96, and it is page 602. Psalm 96. If I'll begin at verse 1, and would you follow with all the even verses thereafter? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvellous deeds among all peoples. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Ascribe to the Lord O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. To the Lord, glory to and and Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. A great psalm. And this is part of our series during August, looking at uh, these psalms from 95 right through uh, to 98. And now we've come to Psalm 96 with uh, the heading that we have uh, trembled before him all the earth again, which is taken from this psalm. Psalm... 95, which we looked at last Sunday, gave us an encouragement and an incentive to worship the Lord. And at a certain point in the course of our service last Sunday, there was a deliberate time where we stopped and said, Now look around you, because what the psalmist is saying, look at each other and say, Come, let us worship and bow down. let us kneel before the Lord our Maker and so on. We want to encourage one another to do this, and sometimes we need that incentive because of the difficult experiences that we have in life. Well, we come now to psalm ninety six and now is the challenge to sing a new song. There you have it It says that we sang a new song tonight but that's not what he means. It's different. Sing a new song, verse 1. And uh, at the very beginning, turn uh, to the book of Revelation. At the end, as we think of the Lamb enthroned in glory, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And here again, the psalmist is echoed here, uh, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 the people of God. And they sang a new song. What's the theme of this song? Well, it's just the same. You are worthy. But now at the end of the history of mankind, to open, to take the scrolls, open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. And then the theme goes on to a great crescendo in verse 11. Worthy is the Lamb. Just an echo of Handel's Messiah, isn't it? Who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. That's a new song. Mighty, powerful song. And there the psalmist anticipates that. In a way, this is rooted in the hope for the future. We were trying to get into that in our praying earlier on with all that's happening, with all the, 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 the evil that can encroach upon the land and all the hypocrisy and, uh, in high places and all the inconsistencies of which we know, perhaps even in our own lives sometimes, yet a future hope that is expressed In this psalm, and particularly, there you have it in uh, verse, look at verse 13, uh, the end of this psalm. They will sing before the Lord, and that's the theme. For he comes, comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. So, here we have Psalm 96. Let's worship. Now let's sing together. Sing together. A new song. And that we find expression of in the book of Revelation. Our future hope. Now the point of this uh, new song is that every generation, and this is a unique thing. Every generation will find fresh experience of God. And with that fresh experience of God, with every generation, comes fresh expressions of God. We experience him. Now, we all know the dangers one generation wants to make their experience the yardstick for everybody else. And that's, that is quite regrettable. Sometimes people do that. They say, I came to faith like this, therefore you should. Well, I experienced this, and I had that, so you should. And we sort of proselytize in an unhelpful way. Every generation has a fresh experience of God, the living Christ, in the power of the Spirit, and give expressions in song, in grace and truth. And that surely is a great thing. We are not intended to live on the experiences of our forefathers. When uh, the last time Hannah and I saw my father in the hospital and he knew He was going to die, and we we knew too, and Hannah said to him, is there anything? He was conscious. Not everybody has a clear, a good death being uh, of of sound mind and and clear thinking. And she said, before we go, is there anything you want to say to us? And uh, he went quiet, and then he said, be faithful to the end. It's not a lovely thing to say. But we cannot live on the experience of our forefathers, however influential they might be. And there is a healthy place for tradition. What do we do at the Lord's table? And Some churches do it every Sunday, maybe rightly so. Just turn to what's called the institution of the Lord's table. Turn to um, uh, 1 Corinthians just to see this, just to make the point. There is a place for healthy tradition. In in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, what is Paul saying to the church here at Corinth? A very vibrant, dynamic church in many ways. Page 1152 in the church Bible. And in verse 23 of, of chapter 11, he says, and these words are so familiar, we know it almost from memory. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. What is that? That's a tradition. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he's betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering what he's done. It's a tradition. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me, there is a place, a healthy place for tradition. Just turn over perhaps one or two more pages. 1 Corinthians 15. And you get it again. Paul, now he's not talking about the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the gospel. Now, brothers, I want to remind you. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And what does he say? Verse 3. For what I received, like handing on the baton, which you'll see in the Olympic Games, It is a tradition. I'm handing it on to you. You run. You run your race that is unique to you. It is a tradition. So having established that, that there is a place for uh, healthy uh, traditions, there there should be, and we need to face that, we ourselves here, uh, that there should be no place for traditionalism, which almost puts us into into a straitjacket of how we think things should and shouldn't be done. We might do it out of sincerity, but it becomes rigid, like a sort of a spiritual rigor mortis that sets in. It's not helpful. It's unhelpful. Traditionalism. So you say, what's the difference? There you are. We've looked at healthy tradition, unhealthy tradition. What's the difference? Well, let's put it like this. Traditions as we've seen in those examples, the Apostle Paul, is the living faith of those now dead. The living faith of those who have gone before. But traditionalism is the dead faith of those now living. Imposing that. It is... And, of course, you know in churches where the pendulum has swung so violently one way against that because people have have been rigid and inflexible. Now, it's an important thing in terms of our worship. And here is this psalm shouting to us, what? Sing a new song. Sing a new song. Sing a new song. Every generation with fresh experiences will have fresh expressions. Of God's truth and grace and life and power. And that's the point of the psalm. That surely lies at the very heart of it. And I hope that you can make your own conclusions about your experience thus far. So Psalm 96 calls us to experience God personally. And to express a living faith in our generation. This is the one we have. We can't live in the past. We should thank God for the past. This is our day. Traditionalism will not suffice. The living faith of those now dead. What I received, I pass on to you. Let's look then with two brief headings. Uh, Number one, all glory belongs to God. That's the very heart of the psalm, verses one to nine. And we're going to take this up quite soon. As a response to the sermon. All glory belongs to God. Deo gloria. Got to be written over our lives. Am I going to do this? Am I going to say that? Am I going to go there? Is this for the glory of God? Or is it for me? And that's sometimes a a difficult thing for us to face. So it's the glory of God. All glory belongs to God. And the second heading. All goodness belongs to God. Verses 10 to 13. First then. All glory belongs to God, verses 1 to 9. Notice the full expression of this this glory, verses 1 to 3. Just look at it and and make your own division. It's not not very complicated. Yes, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. This is part of a a series of liturgical worship, which comes to uh, Psalm 100. All people sing to God. Sing to him. Well, here is it's a universal theme. There you have it. Declare his glory among the nations. Not just within our own particular national uh, experience or location. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And then... this universal theme again declare his glory among the nations his marvellous deeds among all peoples there it is the cosmic Christ if you like the universal Lord declare it sing it sing it loud praise him you remember during Palm Sunday when the traditionalists were really complaining furiously at Jesus' disciples were getting quite excited And uh, they said to Jesus, tell them, tell them to be quiet. Jesus' reply was quite profound, wasn't it? If they were quiet, the stones would cry out and worship me. What an affront to the sovereign Lord. It's a universal theme. And we should not be inhibited, whatever our British reserve and our temperament and culture and all of that. It's a universal theme. Take it up with fresh expression. But then it's also very personal. See how it switches. You look at verses 4 to 6. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Well, the gods are snapping at our heel all the time. And, and making demands upon us. The gods of the nations, what are they? They're idols. The Lord made the heavens. Beat that, says the psalmist. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Now, what's he saying? Just very quickly then, if you move from the universal to the personal, what we are saying in our worship is this. He is worthy. We've come together tonight. There is nothing greater. He is worthy. He is worthy. The atmosphere that welcomes God's presence and gives place To his mighty deeds, he is worthy. And verse 5, and this is what that was part of our worship as a continuation of this He is above all. He is above all. God is, quote unquote, real. The other so called gods are nothing but fantasies. The word idols actually means worthless. He is worthy, they are worthless and he 's deliberately drawing the contrast and say, so "Now you you form your conclusions, and the third thing that you have, look at verse six, he is a good sovereign, a good sovereign, a majestic master, a strong savior, a glorious god, and all these attributes build. An impressive photo if you like, of DNA of the God who deserves our praise. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you see, we we'll move on, you see, it was universal, it's personal, and now here we are tonight, and perhaps this is where we're at. This is 79. It's local, a local expression of this. Here we are. I hope we, we've come uh, without any human constraints. We're glad to be here. We're listening. We're worshipping. We're participating. This is a local expression of the glory of God, where we are now, verses 7 to 9. And look at the three times. It's quite deliberate, isn't it? That's what we are to do. You you see, look, three times it says now. You do it. Ascribe. Sing. Declare. Express. Ascribe to the Lord, verse 7, O families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. You see, verse 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. This idea, these three times to ascribe, to affirm, literally means this. Lift up the name of God. Lift up the glory of God. Affirm in worship. A sacrifice of praise with joy. Such a wonderful thing to do. Of course, the Psalms are, is, is the hymn book of the Bible. And it, it helps us in our worship. So all glory belongs to God. And, and secondly, all goodness belongs to God. I know I, I've said this before, but it was one of those moments where pivotal moments, we have them in our lives, when in Tanzania, visiting the woods, and just to see schools and churches Tanzania was then one of the poorest parts of Africa. And the the, the teachers and the leaders, beginning the class, beginning worship, God is good all the time. The, The reply, all the time God is good. Well, he is good. doesn't seem like that when we are so preoccupied with ourselves, so wrapped up with our own little gods and idols. But he is. He is good all the time. So verses 10 to 13 is a declaration of faith, an affirmation of what we believe. There it is, look. Say among the nations, our God reigns. That's what we were saying. The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. All goodness belongs to God. When we reflect on what people are capable of and we've seen this past week where as we were saying this morning people don't quite know how to handle this and, and, and people say well you know where, where are the parents where are the teachers where and we somehow lose sight of the fact that we are sinful people and God is good and all that we deserve is his judgment, and yet he, in his grace he loves us. And God is the sovereign over, over creation. You have it there in verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Beautiful picture of creation. Though it's fallen, yet very beautiful. And look at verse 12. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. As we coming home from Tame and there was a very large combine harvester coming from uh, Tame up to Longcred and the traffic was enormous. And I thought, if I was in that, I would drive slower. Just for badness. Everybody's rushing. Nobody wants to stop. You think, come on. If we would just stop and look around. Think. Look what God is doing. They're bringing in the harvest. Our puny little lives, pathetic people that we can be sometimes to complain about everything and give thanks for nothing. So, here it is, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And the trees in the forest will sing for joy, beautiful language, poetic, but expressing God's goodness and he is good all the time. There's no place here for vague spiritualities. Yes, all roads lead to God and all religions are true. No, no. We, we, the gods of this world are idols. They are worthless. They are worthless. So, not all roads lead to God. And so you have that in, in verse 5. The gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He's the covenant God. And we see God's goodness in these verses. And this last verse is, is sort of messianic. And that's why the song that we're going to sing just in a moment will we'll, we'll reflect this. Verse 13, they will sing before the Lord, for he comes. The God who comes. He's never late, he's never too early. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with truth. How, do you, how does he do that? Well, of course, it's a preparation of the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus himself. He comes. The God of creation. In the beginning was the Word. the Word was with God. the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we've seen His glory. We've experienced His goodness, grace upon grace, Truth revealed. It's a messianic anticipation. You remember The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You've probably seen the film, read the book. At a certain time in that discussion, Aslan and the Lion, and the question is asked about the Lion is he safe? Safe? Why, no, he is not safe. But I tell you, he's good. He's good. And he comes to judge. The world in righteousness he is not safe but he saves and he is good and he calls us to respond in worship